0: Well, good morning, church. So good to see you. Thank you for being here today. If you'd stand, we're going to read the passage from the book of Luke, Luke 18. We'll begin in verse 1, Luke 18, verse 1. We've got uh, Jesus is unfailingly fascinating, and this story this morning is uh, no exception. Verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man... When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Word of God. Please be seated. All right, an unusual story, isn't it? Two characters in the story, an unrighteous judge. Jesus calls him, he's unrighteous. Twice he's described as a man who neither fears God nor respects people. So uh, clearly the picture, here is this uncaring uh, unconcerned, uncompassionate, a uh, probably arrogant man who just doesn't care what people think, doesn't care about justice and hurt and compassion. Here is the picture of the judge. And then the second character is a widow. Now, a widow in our church is not that big of a, of a, of a, of a change, but in that culture, a widow did not work. She had no legal standing. She could not represent herself in a court of law. A widow in that culture was reduced to begging No job, no uh, uh, legal clout of any kind, no court-appointed attorney, no government agency to kind of catch things. She was on the brink of disaster. She had no recourse. And she has been oppressed in some significant way. Maybe her property has been taken. Maybe her house has been taken. Maybe a child has been uh, oppressed in some significant way. And so she is coming to this judge despite his character. And she is appealing to him, give me justice, give me justice. And this judge basically is unmoved, Uh, forget it, lady, Uh, just, you know, get out of here. You know, no compassion, no sense of justice whatsoever. If you and I had been there watching this, perhaps we would have said to that woman, "Uh, ma'am, I'm so sorry that this happens, but if I was you, I would just give it up because this judge just doesn't care. He's evil. But the woman refused refuses to give up. She keeps coming. She shows up when the court doors open. She's still there when the court doors close. She is hounding that judge, you know, give me justice. She refuses to give up. And lo and behold, one day it works. The judge, exasperated, says, okay, okay, you know, you got it. Uh, I'm going to grant your favor here. You're going to grant your request here. And he answers, her request. And at that point, Jesus says, Hear what the judge says. Hear what the judge says. Now, can you imagine first century listeners who know all about the judge and all about a widow, something like that? They're listening to this story that Jesus tells about prayer, and, and they're trying to think, what in the world is Jesus saying about prayer? Is he saying that God in heaven is like that judge? Is He saying that we are like this widow? Is He saying that prayer is, you know, kind of this annoying nuisance and you keep beating it down until you wear God down? I mean, unusual story, isn't it? What is Jesus saying? Well, let's take the judge. The judge, the point of the judge is not comparison, but it is contrast. That becomes quite clear here and elsewhere in the passage. I mean, elsewhere in the New Testament. The judge uncaring, inattentive, not really fair. Uh, It's just the opposite of who God is, as it's going to become clear. But, you know, I think there might be a subtly going on here. I wonder if Jesus takes this unusual, surprising example because He's exposing the way many of us tend to see God, though we wouldn't admit it. But many of us tend to say God is, you know, you're inattentive. Why haven't you heard this? You're not fair. You don't care. I bet Jesus is exposing the human, uh, the lie that so many humans believe, even Christians believe, about the character of God. And then there's this widow, Uh, the widow You might say, well, maybe there's a comparison there. We're kind of bankrupt like the widow. But the widow in that day had no clout, no status, no right to even be there. And for us, it is just the opposite. Again, it's contrast, not comparison, because we're his blood-bought adopted kids. In fact, a little bit later in the passage, he makes this crystal clear after he begins making the point. Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will, will not God give justice to his elect? To his chosen ones, to his favored ones? If, if this evil judge gives justice to this widow who has no clout, will not the God in heaven, your Father in heaven, give justice to his favored ones, to his elect ones, to his chosen ones? He says, this is just the opposite. But I think there's a subtlety here. I think many of us sort of see ourselves like that widow. Man, we have no right here. God's kind of annoyed with us and, you know, just can't hardly bother with us. But it's just the opposite. You know what it's more like? It's more like uh, me with my three grandkids, Ryan, Rhett, and Evie. Ryan, Rhett, and Evie, uh, they're favored ones for me. You know, I, y- y'all got some beautiful children out there, but, you know, I like to say hello to them. But, but they don't come over like our grandkids did last night and spend three or four hours. And, uh, you know, Gail and I just sort of take care of them. They don't, you know, whatever I am doing... Anytime Ryan, Rhett, or Evie want to come in and interrupt me, uh, the door is open. (laughs) You know, they are welcome. And I smile when I see them, and I give them a big hug. They are not sort of annoying. They are favored ones. Friends, that's who we are with the God of heaven. You're elect. You know what elect means? It means chosen. It means chosen. It means you are specially favored and precious to the heart of God. Three or four weeks ago, Doug McCary showed up uh, in our town. Doug McCary used to be on our staff team. He and his wife, Lori, live in Orlando, Florida, and they have raised three children. And then about five years ago, Doug and Lori start adopting one at a time these little Chinese girls from China, several of whom are special needs. And I've met several of them before, but I hadn't met all five of them. And Doug pulls up by the time I was going to leave out in the parking lot. And he he says, Jeff, you got to meet our girls here. And he he says, come on, girls. And and, you know, one at a time, five of them come out of that van. And and they're so precious. And, And the thing about it is, is they're favored and chosen by Doug and Lori. I mean, they weren't the only little girls in China who needed adopting, but they were the ones that Doug and Lori probably saw online and felt the spirit of God move. And we want that one. We want that one. Friends, that's how God has done about you. Do you thank God for the fact that He chose you and adopted you and loved you and you're favored in Him and special? I hope you thank God maybe every day, Lord, thank you for choosing me, for electing me, for adopting me, that I'm your favored one. So you see, Jesus is making this great contrast from the way we often think that, that God is and prayer is and we are. And He's saying, that's not it at all. He's saying, God is just the opposite. In fact, in Luke 11, Jesus praying one day and his disciples come to him, Jesus, teach us to pray. His prayers must have been so so genuine and powerful and heartfelt. And Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And what does he say? How does he address God? Almighty God, Lord in heaven, sovereign God, the way the Jews would address God? No. He takes a term that the Jews would never use. Our word father, Greek word patras, patros, Aramaic word. Abba, Aramaic, kind of the everyday heart language of Jews at this time, similar to Hebrew. Abba. He said, when you call God, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. First of all, say our Abba, our Papa. It would be the equivalent. It's like Ryan, Rhett, and Ebby coming to me and say, Papa. You know, they, they just come anytime. We come to God anytime. Papa, Papa, Daddy, Abba. That kind of love affair, that kind of love relationship is with you and God. Call him Papa. And then later on, that same section of Luke 11, where he's teaching us about prayer, he gets to the part where he's telling us to ask, and he's so emphatic. Ask, seek, knock, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, ask, ask, ask. And the rest of the Bible, you have not because you ask not. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you'll receive that your joy be made full. Ask, ask, ask. Do I mind when my grandkids ask me something? You know, I've kind of got a default response to them. Yes. (laughs) Occasionally, I say no. Not as often as their parents want me to say no. But whenever I can, yes, 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 yes. Can I have some more of that? Yes. Uh, God is not annoyed when we come to Him. No more than I would be when my grandkids come. In fact, the passage in Luke 11 ends with this statement. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Spirit to those who ask of him? How much more is God good and gracious and loving and kind? Jeff, if you give good gifts, if you want to give good gifts to your grandkids, how much more do I want to give good gifts to you? This is the heart of God. You, you think he's like that stern, harsh judge? You think you're like that widow who has no standing in right? No, no, no. It is just the opposite. It is just the opposite. This is who God... And prayer is not an annoying nuisance. It's not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his highest willingness. And yes, you can have that. And so Jesus is teaching us, all about prayer and what prayer is. And, and uh, most unusual in this passage, unlike every other parable in the New Testament, before he tells us the story, he tells us the point of the story. Now, that's unusual. So often those parables, you know, he never tells us what it's really about, and we've got to, you know, seek the Lord, we've got to study, we got to, you know, what in the world is he saying here? But in this parable alone, strikingly, before he even starts, he tells us the point. It's in verse 1. He says, And he told them a parable to the effect, here it is, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. The point is not that God's like that judge. The point is not you're like that widow. The point is not you're going to wear God down. Here's the point. Be like that widow who refused to stop praying and lose heart. Now, why? Of all the parables, Jesus says, I mean, the parable of the prodigal son doesn't do this. Parable of the Good Samaritan doesn't do this. Why of all the parables does Jesus just make it explicitly clear right before he even gives the story? I don't know. I don't know. But I wonder, I wonder if, if we so need to have this just spelled out crystal clear because you and I grow weary and discouraged in our praying, don't we? Haven't you been praying for something for years and you wonder at times, is God ever going to do this? Don't, haven't you been praying for years for something and, and you wonder, does God even hear my prayer? Is God even there? Is God, why is God so inattentive? Why is God so unfair? Maybe you've not only grown discouraged in your praying, maybe you've already quit. Maybe you used to pray about something, and and, and several years ago, you just stopped altogether. We need the charge of this parable. Always, always, always keep praying and don't give up. Maybe you sort of rationalized and thought, well, you know, God already knows what I'm going to pray, so I don't even have to bring it to Him. Or maybe you say, well, I've already asked Him once. He's God. He remembers. I don't even have to ask Him more. No, no, no. Every time you pray, you're showing your faith. You're showing your faith every single time you pray. Every time I pray for something, I'm saying, God, you're there. God, you care. God, you're good. God, uh, you, you could do this if you to. You're God. You're God." He says, pray and not give up. It shows faith. In fact, the whole passage ends with another surprise in verse 8. The whole time, he's been talking about prayer. And then in the last phrase of verse 8, this is what he says. He says, and will not the Son of Man... When he returns, will he find faith on earth? Not prayer, faith, because prayer shows faith. When I return, am I going to see, am I going to find Duncan still praying about that thing? Am I going to see faith in Duncan's heart? Or will he have already given up? We ought always to pray and not give up. How are you doing, church? How are you doing when it comes to to praying and not giving up? How are you doing when it comes to to not thinking that God is like that mean, stern judge who doesn't care? How are you doing about seeing yourself as not one of those widows who have no standing in less, but as one of the favored ones of God? So precious and so special. Will God, will I find faith on the earth when I come back? That's the point. Praying and Keep praying. You know, I think about my, my, my own life, so many things over the years that I've had to persevere and pray with, just like you. I, I hope you're, the last couple of years I've asked you to pray for, uh, ask God for five non-Christians in your world and just to pray daily that God would save them. And I hope you're pressing into that and just praying and, and not giving up. I hope you're like, going to be like George Mueller, who saw all five of his come to faith, a couple of them, even after he died, after 50 years of praying. I hope you're going to be one of those folks who refuse to give up. you are just going to pray no matter what because you endure and because it shows your faith in God. You know, I think about uh, Winston Churchill, who uh, so much about Churchill I liked, even though he was a very flawed man. But Churchill had endurance. And here was this guy who grew up as really a subpar student and neglected by his parents who hardly were ever around. And he he goes up and kind of makes his way and finally gets to be prime minister of England during the war and... And every other country gets, uh, you know, defeated by Germany. The United States is not in the war yet, and many people were saying, "England, you, you need to work a deal. You need to cut a deal with Hitler before it gets too late, because he's about to invade your country and take over." And Winston Churchill, this five foot five, chubby guy, refused to surrender and to give up. And, and that memorable line where he says, at one point. Uh, We will fight on the beaches, that is, if they invade us. We'll fight on the beaches. We'll fight on the landing grounds. We'll fight in the fields. We'll fight in the streets, probably talking about the streets of London. We'll fight up in the hills of Scotland. We will never surrender. And he didn't. He would not let that country surrender, and thank God he didn't. He refused to give up. And God is saying, when it comes to prayer, if you are my child, would you have that kind of endurance? Would you refuse to give up and not lose heart? When I was a, a senior in college, I was about to graduate, and I had this a series of uh, thoughts that really bothered me, and I didn't know what it was, but I, but I recognized that something was wrong here, that normal people did not struggle with, with these kind of things. And I later went to go to seminary, I continued, and a couple of years in, I realized, okay, there's you got a term for this sort of thing, and uh, this obsessive compulsive disorder. And I would proceed to struggle uh, more than I could express to you. Uh, for the next four decades of my life, and I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I no doubt Gail prayed and prayed and prayed, and at times it was excruciating, overwhelming to me. Those of you who've had mental pain, you can relate, and um, four or five years ago, it got so bad that uh, I just sort of reached a crisis point, and I thought, you know, just, you know, I can't, you know, I'm not going to survive this, my brain's just going to explode and spin off the reel or something. And uh, in a desperate moment, uh, when that happened, the next Sunday, I said, do I tell Wood's Edge about this or not? And, and to me, it was a no-brainer. Uh, authenticity required me to. But also, I wanted your prayers. And so I, I said, look, I am so struggling with this mental disease that I'm not sure I'm going to make it. And I need your prayers. And you prayed. And uh, it wasn't automatic automatic. But over the next four years, it's been four years ago last May, darkest time in my life, God's done been so gracious to me. In fact, I was just thinking this weekend, I'm actually writing a book kind of on the story of this, and I was thinking this weekend that the last four, five, or six weeks, I, I am healthier than I have been since I was you know, 18 years old. And it just, it's like I don't have it anymore. And, and God used some of you some of you here, and he uses things, but ultimately, he answered prayer, and he had grace and mercy on me when I so needed it. Now, I could ask, uh, boy, you really suffered a lot over 40 years. Lord, why didn't you answer the prayer that first year, or after 10 years, or 30 years? I don't know. I don't know. But God is God. If Rhett you know, keeps coming to me, you know, and asking all he would eat for food, you know, it would be just candy. And, and he probably doesn't understand why sometimes even I say no about that. And, uh, you know, he, he just didn't get that. And do you think it could be that the gap, the, the IQ gap between Rhett and me, or the knowledge gap between Rhett and me, that maybe the gap between me and God is even greater? Could that be? Could that be possible that the infinite God who created the universe with his mere breath, that, that I just don't understand all that God does and all that God allows? Could that be? You bet it could. Of course, if he's God. Um, I don't know why, but I know that God is God. And he sent his son to die on a bloody cross for my sins. And I'm going to trust him, no matter what. And one day in heaven, I might know their answers. Tim Keller has this marvelous book on prayer. I just finished it a few weeks ago. In fact, it was so good, I I asked our bookstore if they would get some copies of it. So it's not only in our library. We've probably got 25 or 30 copies unless they've already been gone. It's just called prayer. But but at one point, he says prayer is not some religious rule. It says if we fail to pray, we're, we're not treating God as God. If God is God, then we pray automatically. Nobody has to motivate you. If you recognize, if you believe, God is the the Almighty God of the universe with all power and authority, and He loves you like crazy, then you'll pray. You'll pray. Failure to pray is a failure to treat God as God. You know, this uh, challenge, this charge to us uh, to pray, it's it's not a a charge to to check off a box every day and, you know, just to kind of do a religious obligation. Oh, yeah, Lord, please do that. that. You think that's how the widow prayed? Just kind of a mechanical... Uh, ritual prayer? I bet not. I bet she was just, ah oh, desperate. you got to give me justice. Um, when Paul, uh, when Jesus explains the parable, do you notice his wording? He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? I mean, they're passionate. They're coming on strong. They cry out to God day and night. Not wimpy little lifeless prayers. If that's the way you're praying, you don't really mean it hardly. Cry out to God day and night. Passionate prayer. You see this all through the New Testament. In fact, I've been thinking about this all week, the passionate prayer, the earnest prayer. And in my daily Bible reading this morning, which was not related to the message, I'm in there reading 1 Thessalonians 3, and I come to verse 10 where where Paul is expressing to the Thessalonian church that I've really been praying that I could come to see you. Now, let me give you a little background. He was only in Thessalonica three weeks. I've been here 25 years. He's only there three weeks. And, and, and he was so longing to see them. This is what he said. He said, I have been praying earnestly, day and night, that I could come see you. I said, really? Paul, i got a lot bigger stuff than that. And, and he's that fired up about coming to see them? Um, he prayed earnestly to God. He prayed with heart night and day. Is that how you pray, church? The things that are big in your life, that are big on your heart, do you cry out to Him day and night, or do you just throw up a little ritual prayer just to check a box? How do you pray? Mark Batterson, the pastor in D.C. who wrote the marvelous book, Circle Maker. Two years ago, I read Circle Maker. And uh, it's a great story about asking God for God sized things, and I just loved it. And at one point, I decided, okay, um, we have $7 million of debt. We've been paying off about $2 million a year. Thank God for that. Thank God for a generous people. But, you know, we need to get rid of this debt. And so I, I felt like God put on my heart Jeff, you start praying that this debt would be gone completely by the end of this, this year, this calendar year. $7 million. And I started praying that daily. I asked others to pray that day. By November of that year, $7 million debt was completely gone. A huge yay, God. And 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 God loves it when we ask Him for God-sized things and pray and don't stop praying. And I got some others that I'm still praying about. Mark Batterson talks about this passage. And he says at one point, he says, Praying hard is more than words. It's blood, sweat, and tears. It's praying until God answers, no matter how long it takes. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And there is no more desperate act than praying hard. There comes a moment when you need to throw caution to the wind, draw a circle in the sand, when you need to defy protocol, drop to your knees and pray for the impossible. He said, how desperate are you for the miracle? Are you desperate enough to pray through the night? How many times are you willing to pray? Until the day you die? How long and loud will you knock on the door of opportunity until you knock the door down? If you aren't desperate you won't take desperate measures. And if you don't pray like it depends on God, the biggest miracles and best promises will remain out of your prayer reach. But bold prayer, passionate prayer honors God. Excuse me. It honors God, and this is the way to pray. God loves it when we pray this way. Throughout the New Testament, pray, uh, strive, uh, pour out your hearts, Paul says to the Romans in fifteen thirty, Romans fifteen thirty. He says, "I appeal to you. Would you?" He doesn't say, "Will you pray for me?" He says, "Will you strive, agonizomai?" Our word agonize. Will you agonize in prayer to God for me? Church, is that the way you pray? Is that the way you are praying for others in your small group, who have desperate needs, overwhelming needs? Is that the way you are praying for people here who've got cancer, who need jobs, who've got marriages that are struggling? Is that the way you're praying for your top five who need desperately to come into faith for eternal life? Is that the way you're praying for your church, for your city, for your community, for your nation? With bold, passionate prayers. God loves that kind of prayer. Pray that way. A couple of years ago, I went to Teen Street uh, in Germany that Josh and Debs Walker um, lead. And we got there a little bit early. And Gail and I, our daughter Callie and her husband Paul, got there a little bit early. And so we had enough time to go by the Wartburg Castle in central Germany. Now, some of you who are students of history know that the Wartburg Castle was where Luther hid out for his life for a year when people wanted him dead. And during that year, he wouldn't go out during the daytime, and he lived in disguise, and he stayed in his room largely. And there, he met God, poured out his heart to God— He translates the Greek Bible into the German language, giving Germany their version of the King James Version, and God used him, perhaps more than any other man since the New Testament, to to bring transformation across the continent. And and in that room, and, and I go through this tour, and they don't mention Martin Luther. I mean, they show us all these rich kings and things like that, and I'm thinking, where is Luther's room? And finally, when we we got done with the tour, they pointed us towards Luther's tour. That's why I was there. Go down to that room, and there it is. There is this not really big room where Luther, this man of God, spent a year crying out to God and where he met with God, and God used him so incredibly. And I just, man, it's a sacred place. A friend of Luther's once said about his prayer life, he said, there's not a day in which he does not devote at least three hours to prayer, three of his very best hours. He says, once I was fortunate to overhear his prayer. Good God, what faith in his words. He speaks with the great reverence of one who speaks to his God and with the trust and the hope of one who speaks with his father and his friend. A man of prayer. Church, how are you doing when it comes to prayer? You're crying out with all your heart to the God of heaven who is your loving father, your papa, who longs for you to come. Jesus says, pray that way. Understand about prayer. Church, here's the charge. Pray and never lose heart. Whatever you're praying about, what has it been for you? You've been praying about a child, maybe a teenager, maybe an adult child who's made some very bad choices. Have you been praying for years and years, and you wonder if God hears you, he hears you. Oh, yeah. He hears you. If you then being evil know how to good gifts, good gifts good, give, good, 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 give good gifts. <laughs> you know, God, you know, He, he just make sure I stay humble here, good. That's great. <laughs> give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven? How much more? Don't blaspheme God by thinking that He is a stern God. Don't blaspheme God. He's so good. been praying for a child for years? God knows. God hears. You had back pain for years and years, some other kind of pain, some disease, mental problems like I did, salvation of a father and he's rejected the Lord for 50 years, 60 years. So remember Mike and David, Mike and Craig Charbonnet praying for their father who for 50 years said no, 40 years said no, and When he's 86 years old, so sweetly coming to know Jesus, God hearing his prayer. Are you praying about a marriage and praying so long, you're so heart sick that maybe you're not only discouraged, but you've already given up? Don't do that. Don't do that. Because Jesus wants to know when he comes back, will he find faith in your heart that you're still praying? Remember, Remember who God is, and He's not like that judge. Remember who you are, and you're not like that widow. Remember what prayer is, and it's not an annoying nuisance. It's God's delight. And you endure, and you keep praying with all your heart to the day you die. We endure because we've got a Savior who endured everything for us, even a cross, which He was nailed to, and He bore our sin. He endured that for you and for me. And because He endured that, He's thrown the curtains wide open to come into the Father, to the throne of grace, and pour pour out our hearts to a Father. You can endure because of a Savior who endured for you. Stand with me, please. Church, what's God saying to you? Has there been an area that you've given up on? Have you given up on God? Have you blasphemed God in your heart with your your false image of him? Do you see yourself as one of God's precious favored ones? Friend, maybe you're in the room you've never trusted Christ, your Savior, because you've had God all wrong. Today is your day. Breathe a prayer right now and say, Jesus, save me. I need a Savior. Forgive me. Is the Lord calling you to restart a prayer that you've given up or perhaps to keep on praying about that prayer? Oh, Lord, teach us to pray and show us who you are and show us who we are. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.